We have everything we need. We have everything we need. It's, uh, it's strange to say those words, uh, even though right now the, uh, the economy in this part of the world is booming. Uh, unemployment is at historic lows. In the aggregate, we are generating more money than we seem to know what to do with. It's just that not all of us have access to enough of it. This is a this is an an uncomfortable teaching to receive from Jesus the Christ this Sunday. I know that I'm not alone as I look around at this area that I've been living in most of my life and at times find it hard to recognize. As more and more people are living um, in tents along Interstate 80 or under tarps or in RVs down on Harrison, or in cars tucked away all over the city. You know, some of the regions uh, that we are living in have seen the number of people living outside of shelter increase by 47% in the last year. 47%. And so this is a really uncomfortable teaching to receive from the Christ. And it's something that explicitly and implicitly as a body politic we have at least allowed for and in some cases created. And as, as we hear this story, and as we engage in our day-to-day lives, one of the things that has become clear to me is the times where I look around and just don't want to see. I'd love it if, um, if I could say this morning that what Jesus was saying here, well, he, you know, it was really an allegory. Or that if there were some words in the Greek that we could explore a little deeper because what Jesus really meant was, no. What we heard of Jesus um, in one of his many parables of turning the upside down or maybe attempting to make the right side up is just what he means. And again, it's something that I don't always want to see. 
I was recently in conversation with uh, one of my cousins who lives in California in a university town where about 40 years ago, uh, the town passed some uh, housing policies that has affected over time in that there's been very little housing built. It, it restricted the amount of housing, but particularly restricted uh, more dense housing. And so over time, as less and less housing has been built and more people are trying to live there, the price of housing, both to rent and to buy, has become almost obscene. And so in our conversation, I was uh, kind of commiserating with them about the effects that this has. And then, and then they said something that just kind of stunned me. They said, well, but it does keep out the riffraff. And I wish I could tell you that I had the courage to respond as I wish. And it's one of the deep regrets that I carry from that conversation that I didn't respond. Because I've been thinking about it ever since and Here's the deal. My cousin is a practicing Christian, like many of us here in this room. And so he hears these words. I hear these words. We hear these words. And so what I wanted to say is, hey, cuz, where, where do you find that grounded in, in the words of our Lord? Because it's not there. And he's not alone in, in that sentiment. It's actually been, again, part of the implicit and explicit policies of many of our municipalities for decades now. Finding ways for those other people to not live here. On a more personal level, I was talking with a, a friend this week and we remarked about how when, um, when we make more money, often our response is to be further away from other people. We make more money and we buy bigger houses so we don't have to be as close to each other in the house or... Um, we buy a house that has more land so we can be further removed from our nearest neighbor. Or we buy a house and we live in a community that has a gate to keep others away. Seems to be something that we do. And so I've been wondering this week, myself, for all of us, 
What do we do when we see someone who is suffering? Do you turn away? Do you find the reasons why that person is the way they are? What do you do to remain? I think this is one of the fundamental challenges of being human. We, we hear it over and over and over again in our scriptures. In the law, the prophets, the gospels, the letters. Over and again we hear this, this warning and today it comes from Jesus in a parable. It's one of, I think, one of his tightest and just exquisitely told parables. And uh, it's told in reference to a conversation that he'd been having with some of the religious leaders of the day who he feels had no care for the poor. And so... We hear the story of a rich man who is, um, well, has everything he needs. His clothes are the finest clothes that represent the most amount of accrued power. He not just eats, but he feasts every day. And then we hear that living just outside the gate of his home, lying there probably every day, is a poor man who longs just for the scraps, the crumbs that fall off the rich man's table. But the rich man never sees him. They both die. And uh, the rich man is buried and finds himself in torment in Hades. The, the poor man is carried then into be with Father Abraham at his side. And this is one of the parts that I think is purposeful but subtle in this story, which is that the rich man, while he was living, never seemed to have to pay attention to actually see this poor man, Lazarus. And he still doesn't, even after his death, because what the, the story goes that uh, there this rich man is, and he sees somehow, he sees Abraham. And he really wants some water. So what he does is he says, Abraham, please just send Lazarus. Tell him to dip his hand in the water and bring it to me so I can just have a little bit of comfort. Does he ever address Lazarus? No. Please send him. This is... Um, this is one of our, again, one of our primary challenges. Are we willing to encounter the suffering of another? Are we willing to see them 
for who they are. A couple weeks ago at our vestry, uh, one of our vestry members shared that uh, he has something, a new practice he's taking on. Joe and his husband were in San Francisco. They were at the ferry building and decided they were going to walk over to SF MoMA. And so they walked up Market, and then they took a left to go south of Market. And as they walked, what Joe recognized was that at each block, there was at least one person who had kind of staked out a claim of where they could live. And uh, sometimes it was with a tent, sometimes it was cardboard, uh, oftentimes it contained everything they needed to be able to survive. So some blankets, some clothes, some personal belongings. And it was one block, and the next block, and the next block. And after a while, I think Joe kind of couldn't see it anymore. And that's when the revelation hit him. That he couldn't walk and not see the people around him. And so he decided that he is going to begin a practice, which is to interview, to talk to the folks who are living on the streets where he goes. So that, um, that this isn't about data. This is not about a count, but about engaging with another person, finding out who they are. Where were they born? Where did they grow up? How have they lived? How they come to be where they are now. And Joe knows this is not going to tackle, tackle the macro issues of homelessness. But what it has the potential to do is allow him to see the people he lives with. And the hope is that in each encounter that both people will be changed in the process. This practice, actually, I talked to Joe between services. It starts tomorrow, tomorrow morning. In all the parables that Jesus tells, in all the characters that make up these stories, there's only one character who is named. And it's Lazarus. It's a lot of stories, a lot of people, and only Lazarus is named. And I think it's one of the ways that this parable enacts this classic reversal. Right? Because I have the sense that in the world of this parable, that if this man was as rich as we are told, if he dined the way he did, if he lived the way he lived, I'm going to guess that pretty much everybody knew his name. 
And so what Jesus is doing in this story by naming Lazarus is making sure that we understand that he must be seen. We must know his name. We must know his story. This is the the turning right side up that Jesus is trying to get us to pay attention to. Now, I have to say that uh, I think that this parable actually ends with my favorite moment in all the parables and probably the most excruciating one because in the final flip that he finishes with, I think he offers us one of the most stunning scriptural mic drops that we have. So the rich man is in Hades and he's tormented and he's asked for Lazarus to come and Give him just a little bit of comfort. Not possible. So I think he, he acknowledges where he is, but you can almost hear the anguish in his voice when he asks Abraham to send Lazarus to, to go to his father's house and to talk because he has five brothers. He just does not want them to suffer the same fate that he is. Abraham responds, well, but they've got Moses. They've got the prophets. It's all in there. The rich man says, but Father Abraham, uh, surely if you sent Lazarus, they would pay attention. They would, they would wake up and see. And Abraham says, even if we sent someone, they would not be convinced if someone came back from the dead. Right. We have Moses and the prophets. We have the teachings of the risen one warning us of the perils of not seeing, of not caring for those who lack for just the basics of survival, for shelter, for food, for health. Once again, we have everything we need. <laughs> 